the letter to the Ephesians. We're in chapter 5. We're looking at verses 22 to 24. Priorities of the wife. Please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Father, help us to hear. Father, help us to set aside uh, preconceived notions. Father, help us to absorb this so that we may understand what the worthy walk truly is. Father, we love you. We praise you. Teach us in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, the last week I had come back into town and I did uh, a great big view of how this text fits in the whole of Ephesians. So I started with chapter 1 and just blew through so you could see what the worthy walk was, what humbleness and meekness was, so you could just keep coming down smaller and smaller and smaller till I come to this text. And it was what I call a very wide view of technically what I gave you last Lord's Day fits the rest of the book. Okay? The role of the man, role of the kids, role of... Servants and slaves, the role of masters, all the way through. I mean, even when you deal with spiritual warfare, all of that fits in that cone that I gave you. Okay, there's something I've noticed. It seems to be a a United States thing, but we've missed it in the church in America. And one of the things that I learned a long time ago was Christianity is practical. And if you look at what churches do now, it's like they don't think it's practical. I've talked to pastors in our community who tell me that theology is boring and it doesn't have a practical use in the daily inflation numbers or unemployment numbers or all these other things. And I'm sitting there going, what Bible are you reading? Okay. I have also had people who think that it's a pie in the sky thing. That, you know, I'm son of God. I'm going to smile and tiptoe through the tulips. And life is going to be hunky-dory. And if you do something wrong, then you will be accused like Job's friends did Job. on what did you do wrong that he's punishing you? The things that I've learned about Christianity is I have studied more and more and more and more and more and more theology. The study of the person of Christ... That's theology. That it affects every area of life. There's nothing it doesn't touch on. And it's the basis of every human relationship. Our theology. A person in Christ. Remember what Paul said? You're in Christ. 
new creation, isn't adding religion to their life. Please understand that. They enter into a totally new kind of life. It's changed. The whole thing changes. A friend of mine was praying. He had a very, very wealthy, and I'm talking billionaire-type wealth, and they played golf together. And one day they were out on the golf course, and he said, Are you praying for my salvation? And John said, Yeah. And he said, uh, You're wasting your time, because, John, I don't want to give up all of this. I mean, he had his own limousine or chauffeur-driven and private cars and you know private jets and all this other stuff. He says, I don't want to give it up. John laughed and he says, you don't. And he says, you can be a billionaire and be a Christian? He said, yeah. He says, but know this, to be a Christian, the price tags change. What you used to put value on doesn't have value anymore. Okay. So it is a, a new kind of life. The things that used to be important to a non, well, are still important to non-believers are no longer important to believers. All right. It's not an addition. I've got some Russian pastors that I've shared with in the past and they say, um, in Russia, because I was asking about praying for the United States. He says, in Russia, Christ is life. He says, in the United States, you add Christ to your life. And um, a lot of people do do that. Okay, When you become a believer, it will impact every single relationship in your life. It changes. Okay, And if you're honest, those have been through this whole book with us together. You see that throughout this whole study of this book, that he's dealing with every piece of our lives. I shared with you last week and a few weeks before, the first three chapters is our identity. Who am I? Now that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I am sealed for eternity, and I'm now in Christ. And the first three chapters give you a picture of who you are. The last three chapters say this is how you are to live because of who you are in Christ. Okay, And I shared with you, verse 18 of chapter 5 is the key. I, I shared with you, I wish I would have known this when I first came to salvation. I would have saved myself a, a lot of heartburn. Okay, But it says... Do not be drunk on wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And I shared with you what that means, is to be led along by the Spirit of God. Filled is what they would speak of on the sails of a ship, or to follow something, you are filled with that. That's what baptism is. When you baptize somebody, they are doing a public profession of an inward reality. And that's why we immerse. You don't sort of get baptized. You are either in Christ or you ain't. Okay? For believers, it's not a fight for the top. Okay? I have been around enough pastors to know that they have that 
I've, if I, I've heard a lot of pastors tell me, you will be an effectual pastor if you have a competitiveness in you. What? Okay, no. That, no. Because a believer is a struggle towards the bottom. I am striving to be humble. I'm striving to be meek. I'm striving to put everybody else on top. Okay? That's the general principle of what you and I know as the church and how it operates. Uh, I told you when I got into this, this book deals with the church. This is a snapshot of what the church is. And I find it funny that an illustration of being subjected to one another, he uses the family. But have you ever heard people say, the church is my family? Right? And you you see that, and then I think about it, and I put the two together, and I'm like, okay, God created a family, God created the church. And if you think about it, they are identical. And you've got to keep this in mind when you look at some of this, because this thing has been uh, brutalized in history, this section. We will be looking at verse 21 exposed, explained, and illustrated. And 21 is be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And we will deal with that until we get over to chapter 6, verse 9. But when I look at it, I sit and say, okay, he gave us three chapters of who we are in Christ. What every believer at the moment of their salvation possesses. Three chapters. And then he says in chapter 4, I beg you to walk worthy. I beg you to walk worthy of what you possess. Ever seen those stories? We see these old paupers. They don't have anything. They work as janitors and they do this and they do that. And then when they die, they find out they got hundreds of millions of dollars and they just keep sticking it under the mattress or whatever. And, and how many Christians are like that? You know, I've got the riches of heaven, but I'm not sure. I'm going to hide him from everybody I run into. It's a tragedy. When he uses the home as the illustration for being subject to one another, do we understand that the home is the foundation of human relationships? You want to see a struggling church? Look at the families. See if the families are struggling. Now, in this country, it's, it's weird because I've traveled in other places. Submitting is not an issue. It's, just, yeah, well, duh. Okay. But in America, we have a hard time with that word. It's like, I'm going to submit, but I don't want to. Well, that's not really submission. Right? 
But it's, well, you're such an idiot. Why would I submit to you? And that, that's the way we, we cruise through life. But if you're really honest with yourself, everybody is to submit. And we all do. And if you are spirit-filled, the biggest thing to see is what? Submission. Why? It's not in our world. So when you see it, it's like, wow, man, what the heck was that? He uses this in verse 22. Wives are to submit, and I shared with you, it's implied, comes out of verse 21. If you look in your Bible, 22, you'll see be subject is in italics, meaning that it's not in the original manuscript. (laughs) The implication comes because he says be subject to one another, and then he begins to define it in 22. Husbands, yep, guess what? Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And you say, well, see, it doesn't say husbands submit to your wife. Oh, let me ask you a question. As Christ loved the church, do you realize that that was a self-sacrificial death? I don't know about you, where I come from, if you're willing to be crucified for another individual, that's submission. With a capital S. Chapter 6, verse 1. Guess what, children? Submit to your parents. Verse 4, it says fathers, but the word that is there in the original language can be used as parents or fathers. So it says there, parents do not provoke your children to anger. Okay, what is that? I'm submitting to my kids? Never. They're dingbats. I know who their parents are. Everyone is submitting to one another. That is what the body of Christ is. Everyone in subjection to one another. Even though we all have this amazing equality, the equality is of submission. Remember I shared with you out of Galatians, there is no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female. Right? Why? When it comes to spiritual things, we're all even. There... Men are not more saved than women. Okay? It's, you hear me say, sometimes I'll say, you are as holy right now as you're ever going to be. And people go, what? We are. Because when he was on the cross, he said, it is really close to being done. No. It is finished. What did he finish? To clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, how holy was he? That's why the church is called his body or his bride. You're not going to slowly get holier. Your faith is going to grow. And then you'll start understanding more of your own holiness. So there is a oneness that exists in the body, which is the family, or the body, which is the church. Because all the individuals are submitted. But still, and I touched on this a few weeks ago, 
There is leadership and following. Right? There is authority and submission. That was God's design. I want this thing to function, and this is how it's going to work. I had the opportunity in my life a couple of times to work for the government. Hey. I just think the longest I ever lasted was five years. And I was like, oh, what was that all about? Okay, because it was really weird. Everybody wanted to be a chief, and I was the only Indian. And at times, it was just drive you batty. And I mean, they would say, we need to make decisions on what motors we need to have in storage so that if that motor dies, and we're going to lose something important. So when I made a list, there's a list of motors. Oh, we can't get these. So I'm just going around writing down numbers. And you know what? It wasn't a week or so later, IREA lost a transformer on their three-phase size. And so the middle leg was gone. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But the middle leg wasn't there, and it burned up the pump for the swimming pools in Castle Rock. All of them. And the one of the things happened within about four days, the pool will sour. And when it sours, the only thing you can do is drain it, refill it, shock it, and then balance it. And that takes about three and a half, four weeks. Okay? And so, you know, the guy said, well, are you sure the motors are burnt up? So I, I was at the rec center, and I took the back housing off the motor, and I pulled it out, and all these little copper ball bearing things fell out. I said, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> that used to be windings. And they said, well, I guess we should have got that motor. You're the chiefs. <laughs> and so I said, hey, listen, I know some guys up. Remember where Gates Rubber used to be? I used to know some guys up at Gates that said they can rebuild this thing. I said, take them about two days. So I hauled it up there. While I was gone, the chiefs came together and said, we can get one in California and have it air freighted in. Well, this is a 50-horse motor. Okay? It ain't light. And you're going to air freight it? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And the other thing is, is it weighed so much, you don't get overnight. It took two days. Well, I already had my motor back and had mounted it in, and I get this on the back door of the swimming pool, and here's the guy with the motor. And so I look at the weigh bill on it, and I'm like, you guys paid more for shipping than I paid to have the motor rewound. Plus, you bought the motor. But I said, you know what's really cool? I got my extra motor. <laughs> that is what happens when you get people that think, well, I want to lead as long as I don't have to make a decision. That is not what God's called us to. Have you ever seen some of the worst church leaders I've seen? They tell me are natural born leaders. Okay. You know what? I am not a natural born leader. This book is really cool. I follow this book. But no, I am not a natural-born leader. I see guys who have natural leading abilities, and they make me nervous. Because God set up authority and submission. 
But what I found is that the fallenness of man has twisted those. I will submit after I make a bad decision and I'll blame it on Eve (laughs) or somebody. That's how it works. Listen, authority and submission, we have a hard time with. Okay? Authority and submission. Do you realize it has nothing to do with your spirituality? Well, yeah, but uh, an elder needs to... It has nothing to do with it. I mean, you don't want an ignorant, a new believer as an elder, but it has nothing to do with it. All right? Because in Christ, what? We're one. All right? The principle is there for function. You have people who say, okay, here is a problem. This is what we need to solve it. And then everybody pitches in and solves it. The principle remains even when we are in subjection to one another. So that is true of the family. It is also true of the church. It's, there are shepherds and there are the flock. Right? I mean, that's the way he designed it. All right, what is the shepherd's responsibility? Protect and care and feed the sheep. All right? So he's not out there. It's, I told you guys about Hank. He, he's a cattleman. And I remember he was sitting and telling me, he's the one who came up with the brilliant idea that I should be a pastor. But anyway, he says, there's something you have to learn. He says, if you have cattle, you drive them. Okay? If you have sheep, you lead them. You lead by example. You don't ask the sheep to do something that you haven't already done or already doing. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Right? That is how the family is functioning. That is how the church function. Okay? So now then, that's the introduction. Let's get started. I decided that I would agree with Paul and his infinite wisdom. In verses 22 to 24, I would start with the easiest one first. Okay? It states here, the true rendering of this, wives to your own husband as to the Lord. That's how it's written in the original language. All right? Be subject is implied from verse 21. All right? But it's encompassing. Okay? If you are a wife, period. Be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. There's no qualifiers. There's no qualifiers. It's your husband. That makes you the wife. If you're the wife, what? That's it. That is your position. Then this is you. There are no conditions. There's no loopholes. There's no qualifiers. Okay? 
I'm going to give you a little footnote here. Do you see how important it is to not intermarry? Okay, I'm not talking about different races. I'm talking about saints and ain'ts. If you're a believer, a young lady who is a believer, you marry an unbelieving man. Who's he following? Nobody wants to say it. I think he's following too close to that car in front. Okay. Who's he following? All right. What's the qualifier for you to tell him no? No. Now what are we going to do? And I have dealt with this. I have dealt with this as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, and as a Christian. I've seen this. I mean, I've watched women crushed by their husbands and want so bad for him to be saved. And I tell them with as much love as I can muster, you can't expect them to act as Christ because they operate in the flesh. Their decisions will be based on the flesh, will be based on the world. I don't care how caring, how sweet, how cuddly. I don't care. Their decisions are going to be based on the world. Okay? If you don't believe me, I can give you a list of women that I know that had unbelieving spouses and how much joy and hallelujah there was in the relationship. That's a footnote. We shouldn't step into an arena where we already battle our flesh. So I'm going to let this guy control my life and every aspect. And he is following Satan. He is following the father of lies. See how uh, it just makes you want to spit or worse. So. In our outline, priorities of the wife. The matter of submission. It's going to take me a little while to get through this. Because I have to make sure that I cover all of my bases. I don't want anybody walking out of here with a loophole. <laughs> so, And I've, I've read enough of Paul to know that when he argued something, he gave you all the reasons that you think you're right, and then he pounded them with why you're wrong. So anyway. What is he referring to here? I'll give you a couple of things. All right. The word submit is not the word obey. All right. Because I've seen guys use that one. Boom, 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 boom. It's not obey. Hupo ko is obey. Hupo taso is to line up under something. Hupoko is to obey. If you read here in a little bit later, in the next two or three years, we'll get to where children are to obey. Okay? Slaves are to obey. Okay? That word is to answer. It is to attend to. It is to obey. It is used of servants. But I'm going to warn you right now, men, your wives are not servants. They are not your slaves. Okay? Men are not to be expecting their wives to be waiting around to receive orders. 
Hey, I've seen guys that do it that way. And I keep thinking, man, how, how do you not get knocked stupid for even thinking you could pull that off? But I've seen guys, you know, there's a church right down the street here. Go check those people out. I, I mean, you just sit there and go, you guys might be doing some tongue stuff, but that ain't no fun. Okay? They have to wear dresses. It has to be, uh, what is that, mid-shin? They gotta wear these little doily things on their head, and they walk here. They never walk beside, and no, never in front. And that's because you obey. Okay? Women are not our slaves. This word hupo tasso is, is, is more intimate than that. It's, uh, very personal. But it's, it's very vital. It encompasses something. Now, this is where I'm, everybody's going to try to get a loophole. And there's no loophole here. It emphasizes something of possessiveness. You know, I, I have it written down here, but I got a question mark by it. Because I don't know if I want to say it. Okay? Because you could say, well, does that mean he owns her? No, but he does possess her. Now, the women are all sitting there going, I told you he's going to do it. told you he's going to sit there, drag every one of us right down the road, and all of our husbands are going to walk out of here going, I told you that the women are the easiest part. So you guys have been warned. I'm already dealing with the men's side of it. And I'm reading these words in the original going, why did they parse it that way? Okay, but anyway, this possessiveness has an assumption that a wife would absolutely willingly, she responds in submission. Remember the Song of Solomon and the Thulamite woman, Sulamite woman and, and the king and she was, yeah, don't wake him up, he's sleeping. And he, man, he is my apple tree in the forest and he takes care of me. He is my provider. I have no want. Okay, remember that one? Okay. <laughs> the guys are like, no, I don't remember that one. <laughs> and the woman said, you need to go listen to that again. Okay. She responds in submission. She is the one whom he possesses. That's why you'll hear people say that she is a gift from God to me. Okay? There's nothing inferior here. All right? There's nothing lesser here. This is how God has ordained it. All right? Uh, let me take you back. I'm gonna, we're going to have to cover a lot of stuff here. Hang on tight. But it's like I said, I'm plugging all of my loopholes. I, I ain't want to walk out of here. Everybody's going to say, oh, okay. All the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 16. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will what? Rule over you. What does that mean? He is the head. Okay, he is the head. Now, the thing that I watch with this, because I've seen people use that. So it says here, I, I, mean, uh, uh, I will rule over you. Okay, you got to understand something here. This is part of the curse for eating of the forbidden fruit. Okay, because this is where 
He's speaking to the woman, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, that's the snake. All right? And between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head. And you bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, that's the crucifixion of Christ. Okay? That's between, that's the punishment for the snake. Then it goes this way. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Amen? You know what I think, though? That before the sin, childbirth would have been painless. Oh, well. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, now I've heard a lot of crazy things. Says, okay, one of the curses that are on Eve is that she will love her husband. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there you go. And then I've seen some couples are like, yep, yeah, you're cursed. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'll let you guys think about that one for a little bit. The word literally means to absurd the authority. So if you have somebody who's ruling you, and then you have been cursed, you want to assert the authority. And ladies, do you understand that's part of the cursed nature? I mean, you say, oh, no, no. If you don't have that in you, then you're calling God a liar. And this curse is part of the reason that we had to have the cross. Okay, but under, when he made Eve from a rib, why did he do that? Anybody remember? It's not good for man to be alone. He needs a slave. He needs a helper. But when they sinned, what happened to that relationship? She don't want to help. She wants to drive the bus. Well, you don't understand. My husband, he he just takes too long to do anything. Then maybe God brought him into your life to slow your butt down. I don't know. You see what I'm trying to get at? It's part of the curse is that a woman doesn't want to be reigned over. But in the same chapter, the two shall be one. And one of them will have authority and one of them will not like it. <laughs> okay? this It's an amazing oneness. And I shared with you, when the church starts getting this down... The world's going to be going, what? Because we are one. The world claims that it wants to be one, but it's not true. They don't want to be one. There is rule for the sake of unity. That's part of the function. She is subjected to the headship of her husband. Okay? Please, it is not as a slave, but it is one 
who is provided for, who is cared for, and secured by her husband. Okay, a little footnote here again. Get my loopholes covered. If your wife isn't submitting to your headship, what's the problem? It's the leadership. Does your wife feel like you protect her? Does your wife feel like you provide for her? Does your wife feel like you make her secure? Because if he does those things, then you ain't got no reason. Interesting concept, isn't it? But you see how he designed it? But you see how abstract that is to us today? I mean, everybody's got to work. I make more than she does. She makes more than I do. Look at this. Look at that. That ain't what it is. That is not what it is. You got to remember, wives stayed at home until World War II. So it hasn't been that long. Do the wives feel provided for, cared for, and secured by her husband? Listen, one of the things that is amazing to me about this text, and you got to remember, I've got the bigger view of all everything. I mean, you can read it too, but... This is not nearly so much to do with what she does for him. Okay? As with what his responsibility to do for her is. Didn't want to hear that, did you? Guys are like, well, man, you were doing so good there for a minute. <laughs> Let me give you another illustration. I'll give you a parallel passage. I told you that Ephesians is a... Uh, Prison epistle, right? Remember that? Okay. So is Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. He was incarcerated by the Roman government. The parallel to the Ephesians text comes out of Colossians chapter 3. It's interesting. I'll give you kind of a bigger idea. Verse 18, chapter 3. Wives, okay, now here's the word. It is in this text. Be subject to your husband. Okay, but that's not where it ends. As is fitting in the Lord. That's a fascinating. When I first run into that, I was like, why did he put that in there? Okay. Aneko. Okay. Aneko is the Greek word for as is fitting. All right. The verb. It means seemly, it means proper, it means fitting. In the Old Testament, the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is primarily used uh, of that that is legally binding. It has a legal concept to it. You see the Apostle Paul use it in Philemon 8 when he's trying to get Onesimus taken back by Philemon. And he says, in the Lord... I can command this, but I'm asking. Okay. What Paul is saying here is that in the sense 
of legally binding. It is accepted law in human society. Got some blanks on that one, didn't I? Let me ask you a question. Where does human society get its law? Huh? From God. Divine principles. Okay? I don't care where you are on this globe, right? They're going to get mad at you if you kill somebody. Right? Okay? It's a divine principle. It's a divine law. It's according to the law of society. In our country... Man, it seems to be picking up speed. This is disappearing. I mean, really quick. Morality is by majority vote now. And if you look back in history, this country was founded by and on what? God's principles. That's how we started. I've heard all of them silly thing. Well, there were some deists in there and there were these things in there. And No, man, go look at it. Go see how many of the signers of the Constitution were preachers. Go try to get an office today as a preacher. Why is that? This is how our country was founded. I mean, I go look at... Do you guys know who Stonewall Jackson is? Okay. Thomas. You know what his job was before general? Presbyterian preacher. There's a bunch of them you look around. and Now, Grant wasn't, but that's another story. But there's a bunch of these guys, and you slowly watch it chip away at what God's divine principles are. Had a friend in one time who was going through a divorce, ugly, ugly, nasty thing. He says, you know, it's easier to get out of a a marriage than it is out of a car lease. I was like, wow. Had somebody ask me if I was willing to do their wedding. I said, no, I don't do weddings for people that don't sit under my teaching. Oh, we'll come to your church. You missed the point. I said, in Colorado, you can take your vows in front of a microwave and just sign on a piece of paper. So be it. Zenith. Laws governing society, for the most part, have a biblical basis, okay? Especially in Western society. And I'm talking about Europe. You go from the Caucasus Mountains west across Europe all the way over to where we are now. There's a law that you can't kill. Where did that come from? There's a law that says you do not steal. Where'd that come from? Uh, there's laws that disregard sexual evil. Who come up with that idea? We have made laws based on God's revelation, what God has showed us. And you gotta look at it at sometimes. You, you teach something that people say, well, <sighs> what if I want to marry an unbeliever? And maybe, you know, I can, Win them to Christ. It never says that. Why did, why is he being so mean? Seems like you're picking on me. No. He's protecting you. I told you about in Russia. They do not let young people date. And then when they date, you can only date somebody that's in the church. And when you date, if you're going to go on a date, like, you know, you and I go on a date, 
you have to get a married couple to go with you. And you're like, <laughs> you ain't going to pull that off in America. Why not? If you have godly principles, why wouldn't you? I can go down the list on this, on different things that I see that God put in. Listen, I remember when I would look at stuff and think, well, what a grouchy old God that is. But then as I look at it longer and through the fullness, I start realizing, you know what? That's my protection. Why did God make the institute of marriage? To provide protection to the weaker vessel. I'll get into that next week. First Peter 3. Okay? That's why there's the institution you and I know is marriage. He does all of these things to protect us. Now, you tell a woman that, well, we're going to get married because I need to protect you. Duck. <laughs> or keep your, make sure you got, keep that six foot distancing thing going. Why do, do we not lie? Why is it wrong to lie? We got a law and they call it perjury. Unless you're a politician. But anybody else, it's perjury. <laughs> and you know what? Again, unless you're a politician, the laws are legally binding. Okay? The laws come from the basis of God's truth. So, here, in the Colossians text, to have the wife to submit to the husband is not only a legal issue, because that's what the law of God says, that's what the society used to say. They still do. In Russia, they still do. Azerbaijan, they still do. In Georgia, they still do. The Republic of. But I've seen it in other places. And the people, no, that's what the Bible says. But is because, listen, the reason that it's a legal issue is it's only legal because it's based on a divine principle. This is what God wants. Okay? Listen, I've, I'm, it's hard, this is hard to deal with in our country today because we can take an innocent child and kill it before it's born. And people will look at me in the eye and say, well, it's legal. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that's, wow. That, to me, that's, oh, well, all right. See how silly it is? Okay. You're going again against what God's word says, the divine principle. In a society that has functioning families, you have a functioning society, you have families that function by God's divine principle, and the woman is bound by the law of God to submit to her husband. See how that works? Kind of a wordy way of saying what Paul said in three words. <laughs> It is legal because of the divine principle. And one of the ways that word is translated, it is proper. 
Remember that? Remember when they used to do weddings and they were proper? Remember that? I remember when, when my cousin got married. She was the first one of the, the slugs. She got married and it was proper. Uh, an Episcopal church or something. I had to do a bunch of this. And then, <laughs> I was kind of like, I'm wore out. But uh, it was proper. Everything about it was proper. You know, and I remember people telling me, wasn't that a proper wedding? And I was like, What's an improper wedding? So that was before I was saved. Okay, so be cool. Be cool. A woman is to be submitted. It is proper. And Scripture reinforces this. A woman is to be submissive to the headship of her husband. Again, it is not the idea of a slave. The idea that she... Okay, guys, tune out for a few minutes. Ladies, I need to talk to you. And the guys are, and the guys are like, I'm listening because I know this is going to be good. <laughs> this idea takes the role of submission that the woman submits to his protection she submits to his provision. She submits to his care for her. And there's no need to care for herself. See what I told you? The guy's role is a lot worse than the woman's. No need. Why did I write that down? No need. To care for herself. She comes under his care. Remember I told you to line up under. It's kind of weird. I used to elk hunt. And it was always weird. Because you drew for cow tags. And you might get one or you didn't get one. If you didn't get one, it sends you a bull tag. So you go out. And I was forever in a day with a bull tag running into hundreds of cows. So I got to carry horns with me, and I'd glue them on there and take them. Nah. Uh, and what I learned was, is the bulls, the, the head bull, would push the little bulls and the cows in front of him. And I thought, there's an idea. <laughs> and that's... There's always way more cows, but he would always run the females out in front of him. And then the young bulls would be next, and then he'd come looking around. He didn't hear a shot, then he knew he could continue on. If he heard a shot, he's like, I won't go this way. <laughs> that ain't the way it is for man. We take the shot. She has no need to care for herself. She comes under his care. Okay, now I gotta take you back to our text in Ephesians, because there's something here that many, many, many of us miss. Verse 23 says, For the husband is head of his wife. And we all go, Amen. Amen. Okay, read the rest of it. As Christ also is the head of the church. We go, Amen. He himself being the Savior of the body. Now then, 
If you read that in context, what does it say? Who is the Savior of the wife's body? Who oversees it? So, wives are to submit to their husband as unto Christ. Christ is our Savior. He is our provider. He is our preserver. He is our deliverer. And that's the concept the Apostle Paul is using. Got that? So what is it that the husband is supposed to do? Do you want me to read his part? Because this is still a matter of submission. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. He did what? You ever notice a godly husband is driving an old beat up car and his wife has a new one? I filed a complaint about that and didn't get me nothing. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. The concept is, is that the husband to the wife is the provider, the preserver, and the deliverer. All right? As what Christ provides, He delivers and He preserves the body which you and I are in, which I don't understand why people don't think. That would be a really cool place to be. But for whatever reason, in America, we don't think it's a cool place to be. The wife falls under the protection and the provision and the preserving of her husband as unto the Lord. Well, so far, nothing's been thrown at me. Yeah. I'm making pray. Anybody want to pick? (laughs) Listen, it's... The problem with this text, I've been spending some time in this, a lot of time actually, and I look at this and I think, wow, the families in the church are so out of kelter. No wonder the church is in the condition that it is. I'll close with a precious friend that God gave me permission to do her funeral. Help her in a lot of ways. Some of you will remember Ruth Henry. What a sweet lady. She outlived three husbands, I think. Two or three husbands. One died in the war in Korea. She remarried. And you know what she told me one time? She said, now, I I think, I don't even know if I was an elder then, but she told me, she said, I said, uh, so how quick after, I forgot what his name is, died, did you remarry? He said, oh, it was about 30, 40 days. And I was like, wow. And I said, well, Ruth, I mean, she says, no, God knows that I need to be under the protection of a man. And you're like, all right. She outlived that guy too. And I remember she, uh, her hips gave out on her. And uh, 
she couldn't come to church. That we were downtown and it had all kind of everything was climbing up and climbing. you're always going up to Sinai and coming all the way back down. No, but you had to climb. So so we would go over the first of every month and do the Lord's table with her. And and she was when she finally died, she was in her mid nineties, I think. And when she died, uh, I remember taking her to the Lord's table. And and she would smile at me and she said, you know, I remember once one time I took her, she says, You know you're getting better at serving this. I said, Thanks, Ruth. And so anyway. She said, No, I sit and watch uh, some of you guys remember Rick Ferguson up at Riverside? He used to be a pastor. She'd watch him and uh, of course Uncle Stanley, Charles. <laughs> And she'd watch him. And she says, you know, I, I get my feeding. She had two or three Bibles laying on her little coffee table all the time. And she says, but I miss the family. And I said, and it wasn't much longer after that that, you know, I'd go see her maybe once a week, at least once a month. And, and I'd go see her. And she, she was just a, she's one of those people you're thinking you're going to go minister to her. And then you walk out of there and kind of are, Walking above the ground with, whoa, <laughs> that's cool. Okay, and she decided to have hip surgery, hip replacement. So she had, and I mean, she's in her late 80s. And so she has hip replacement. And the doctor says, you know, buy one, get one free. So she had them both. Okay, and uh, she came back to church, started coming back. And I mean, we'd have to help her up and down the stairs, but I mean, she could walk and all the rest of it. She said, uh, she wasn't feeling good. So she went into the doctor and she had uh, pancreatic cancer advanced. And I mean, I remember looking at this. And so I was talking to her and she says, Oh, I'm not worried about it. She said, He's given me a long life. I've had several wonderful men of God have been my protector and provider. And I said, So when you get to heaven, which one are you going to look for first? She says, Jesus. <laughs> And I was like, right on, Ruth. And I got to do hers. But I thought, but she was older. And it was a generation. Well, it would be the generation before my mother. They understood the dynamic of what the family was, what marriage was. There's a reason it's called a covenant. The marriage covenant. I mean, we don't know about it, but there's a reason it's called that. That's why you hear you hear in your vows till death shall we part that's how a covenant is stopped at the death of the author you both signed on to it one dies you're done okay but she understood the role of the husband to the wife and i've seen that in that generation my mom's generation had it but it was starting to transition because my generation says let's see if we can make a mess of this and we've done exceptionally well. Okay? And so, it's gonna be hard. And men, you, as an old friend of mine used to say, you better be getting prayed up. Because, verse 21 is still there. Subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So I will begin illustrations of a woman's submission next week. Okay? 
Father, we love you. Father, I think about the family. I think about children. I think about husband, wives. I think about the lost people who are in our lives. Father, I think about the saved people who are in our lives. Father, I think about the Christians who are struggling. Father, I think about those who think they're Christians who are not. And yet, Father, it's easy to spot because there's a submission that is supernatural. Father, we can look at this. We can take notes. Say, my husband needs to do this. My wife needs to do this. But if we don't do, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. It's nothing but dead works. So Lord, help us. Guard us. Protect us. Father, help us to run this race without the distractions of this world. Father, help us be focused upon You. Father, You're the only one who can do this. So Lord, uh, I'm begging You now that You open the eyes of our hearts. We may hear You. Father, we may understand You. We may understand that what You give us here is for our protection. Lord, we love You. Oh, I love You so much. May I fall more in love. May we all fall more in love. Father, those of this fellowship that are traveling, Lord, I ask You to protect them, to care for them. Father, You don't let their eyes wander far from You. And that, Father, when they return, they would strengthen us and we could strengthen them. Apostles and prophets, evangelists and teaching pastors. For the equipping of each of us to encourage each of us. We love You, Lord. And I praise you in Christ's name. Amen.